Thanks for listening to the New Life Church of Searcy podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're about to hear message audio from one of our weekend services, but before you do, just want to remind you, you can tap the link in the description or text Searcy to 88000 to get connected and stay up to date with what's going on on our campus at all times. You can give online, join a life group, or find more information about joining a serve team as well. You can also request prayer. We love praying for the needs of our church every single week. If you have a prayer request, tap the link in the description, or again, text Cersei to 88000 for more information. I want to um, catch you up, kind of, or give you a heads up on kind of what the rest of the year is going to look like, believe it or not. Um, you should be starting your Christmas shopping. And so I know you don't want to hear that, but you should be. I'm going to tell you what's going on around here. We are going to do just a, a mini two-week series this week and next on the end times. Today, I'm going to set that, that up, and then next week, we'll drill down just a little bit. It'll be a, just a, a two-week series, just kind of a, hey, let's pay attention to the end times. And then I'm going to do a three-week series on the Holy Spirit. And I think this is going to be fun for our church because you're all from different backgrounds, and um, so it should be an interesting thing of revisiting your personal theology. I hope to challenge some of it. I hope for some of you, you see some things in you that you've resisted and you invite them, them in. I, see, I want uh, others of you to have some things that maybe the pendulum is the complete other way and you need to come into balance. So uh, we're just going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, his role in the church, and his role in end times. And um, then we will, believe it or not, we'll go into uh, Advent. And so uh, I'll speak on our Advent message, and then we'll have candlelight services for you. We'll be announcing those soon. And then we will have a New Year's Eve service, and then we start another year. So that's what it's going to look like around here. And I invite you to be, be part of that and um, already invite friends to attend Candlelight with you. So today I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24 if you have the Bible or the Bible app. And uh, I'm going to skip around a little bit. I want to give you a little bit of context. This is Jesus and his disciples walking through Jerusalem. And there is a big question being asked of him. And then he's going to sit and talk about it. And that question and answer finds us today in this church. And that's what our focus is going to be. So Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to skip around, but I'll tell you where I'm at. Okay, so let's begin in verse 1. So Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you that not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Verse 6. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed, because such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 9. 
then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. This is the moment they wish they had not asked. Okay? And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Verse 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, there's a lot of confusion in our time. I think every Christ follower has had this thought. When will Christ come back? When will he return? When are we truly in the end times? I think anytime you get into eschatology, the, the question, the looming question is, well, when's he coming? If they thought it was going to be then and that was 2,000 years ago, well, I mean, how much closer are we getting? And then, of course, people who are not Christ-minded think it's just a fairy tale. It was something that was just said and told a long time ago, and it's, it's over, it's ended, time has passed. But every person who is seeking Christ is asking, when's he coming back? And so some people have answered this with simplicity. They've, they've just had simple prayers of invitation. Like John, when he prayed, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Just a prayer, like, please come back. Then you had people in our time, like Billy Graham, who used it to fuel evangelism, who filled arenas with the lost and gave them an assurance of eternity in Christ that once he came, they would be ready. And then you had some people who just got weird. And so, anytime you bring up end times, they wanted to be the predictor. And so, there was actually a guy who wrote a book called 89 Reasons the Lord Will Return in 1989. What's funny, people bought that book. What's worse is they bought the sequel. 90 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1990. I think he went on about three or four years before people finally thought he might be a false prophet. <laughs> and so then, you know, you've got the Kirk Cameron movies. Don't get me started on those uh, scaring teens everywhere in the 90s. I had a, and this is a, is, is a true story, we had... We had a speaker come. He was an eschatology evangelist. That's all he did. He went from church to church talking about the return of Christ. And I was just a kid, but I remember it scaring me terribly. And, uh, you know, we always use the, the scripture about, you know, there'll be two in the field and one gone, two in the bed and one gone. And we think, man, this vanishing, you know, is going to take place. And it was just scary. And then they would add the weight of it to your generation. Like, you are going to be the ones to usher this in. You are the ones who are, who are going to have all of this happen. And, man, you just, I mean, just nail biting, you know. And so this guy was at our church for like three or four days. It was like a miniature eschatology revival. And 
And so he did this odd thing. I've never heard of it before. I've never seen it since. But he spent one whole message entitled, What to Do If You Miss the Rapture. And he, he made it, he had us record it on a cassette tape. And then you would buy the tape. And his instructions were to hide this tape in your house so that those who miss the rapture might rummage through your home looking for, I don't know, food and water and things like, you know, some zombie show. And they would look and go, wait a minute, it's a tape called What to Do If I Miss the Rapture. I've missed the rapture. I should play this. And I remember my mother kept it in a drawer. She bought it, kept it in a drawer. And it would scare me to death. But one time, curiosity, it just had me, and I went in there, and I put it in my Sony jam box, and I shut the door. And the first thing was, if you're listening to this, you have missed the rapture. I was like, oh, God. You know, and the first thing, the first instruction was, you need to find a water source. And I was like, this is not based on theology. You know, I was like, find water. You know, are you thirsty? Find water. All kinds of weird things have been done. And we wonder why 40 years later, we're sitting in a doctor's office going, I'm not sleeping too well. Like, I, I'm not, you know, I, I may need something, you know. It's because of all this eschatology fear. But when will Christ return is a good question. It's a timely question. And why is it important to keep our eyes affixed to what is going on? Why should we even care about it? Well, I think the answer there is both simple and biblical. And so today, again, I'm going to just lay a foundation for us to be able to talk a little deeper next week. But the entire Bible is a reflection of Israel, the whole thing. It's Israel's story. Now, in the New Testament, we obviously get um, the insight of it rolling forward, like carry this beyond Jerusalem. Carry it in, into other cities. Carry it into the uttermost parts of the world. And so we get an invitation into the story. But it originates as, as Israel's story. This is why we care so much about Israel. It's why we pray for them. It's why when we see something happening, we have fear with them. We can get anxious about it. We, we can go, what's going on over there? And we start to do a heart check and a theology check about what's happening because Israel is very, very important to biblical context. So Jesus, obviously born in Bethlehem, some five, five and a half miles from Jerusalem. He died in Jerusalem. Scripture tells us he's going to return to Jerusalem. Even the passage of Scripture that I just read in Matthew is taken in the Mount of Olives, which is just right across from Jerusalem. The Bible gives us a clear picture of how Israel began. So you've got Abraham and Sarah. God gives them a promise they are 100, and they are 90, and suddenly they're at Babies Are Us. And the Lord gives them an enormous promise and tells them, I'm going to give you just a nation is going to come from you. In Genesis 15, he says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with them and said, Your descendants, I will give them this land from Egypt to the great river Euphrates. So he even showed them, this is going to be your place. This is where your nation is going to settle. The Bible is intently prophetic regarding Israel. 
Books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. These stories had a lot of foresight. They had a lot of things to say about what was to come, how it would happen, all of the takeovers, lots of things about Christ and his birth. And so there's a lot of intentionality there. You may not not know this. This is just a sidebar, but the Hebrew people completely lost that entire region in 586 BC to a Babylonian king named King Nebuchadnezzar. You you know the story. So for 2,500 years, to give you contact text, that's 10 times longer than America has been a nation. For 2,500 years, all those Hebrews were scattered. They were taken into captivity. They had children in captivity. They kept the story alive during captivity. It's, It's an awful and a beautiful story of how God kept them, rescued them, kept the story, kept their rituals, kept himself in front of them over a 2,500 year span. So they were scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Arab Empire, and the British Empire, and did not return together again, coming from all parts of that region until 1948, becoming a sovereign nation again. Until that day, they had not had a homeland, a government, and they had even lost their common language among themselves because they had been scattered for 2,500 years. So just like these disciples were curious about when is the end, we too are curious, and I think it comes with good intent. I think sometimes as believers, we we, we come in and out of this phase of wondering, right? We, we come into it of going, when is Christ coming back? We think about it. You watch the news. You see a story. You hear an article. You're reading scripture. And you think, when is Christ coming back? Would it be in my lifetime? And then sometimes you may go for months, maybe even years, without the return of Christ being heavy on your own heart. So you go a long time without even thinking about it, even though you are following Christ. And so I think, again, this intent to know when he's coming back or the desire to want to know when he's coming back is healthy. There's a couple of reasons why. The first one is we want to know when are we going to see you? And I think for us who never saw Christ, who never saw a miracle, never heard his physical voice, never saw his physical face, we have a, a, a longing to see Christ. We want to see you. We want to be around you in the same space as you. So when do we get to see you? The second thing is, when does life as we know it end? Okay, And we're going to talk a lot about this next week, but we have this big question of going, I mean, you know, everywhere we look, they say the earth is in turmoil as a planet. It's not sustainable. Um, Humankind is not sustainable. So God, how long, like how long can it continue 
When we read the Bible and we read things that describe the end times, we see a mirror of our own culture. So how long? How long can it be until you come back? We always want to know, when is the end? And I don't know if you're here today and you are obsessed with endings. You know, some of you want to know, like, when's the end? When's the end of all of it? Whenever Robbie goes to see a movie, her first question is, how long is it? Okay? This means, when will it end? How long do I got to be there? How long can I take a nap in that movie? When we were dating, it would infuriate me because I was broke as a joke and I would spend 50 bucks on us to go to a movie for her to take a nap. And I would be like, if you would just stay home and take a nap, it would save me $25. And then I'll just come back after the movie and pick the date up. But you're just going to sleep. So she wants to know what time does it end? I don't know if you're that person, but you ask your friend about a book or a movie and you go, hey, just tell me the ending. How does it end? Because that's, that's, that's in you. So let, let me really mess up some of you, but save you some money on your holiday subscription of the Hallmark Channel. I'm going to tell you the, 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 the ending. Okay, here it is. There's going to be a guy from Vermont. Okay. <laughs> And this guy, listen, this is very important. He's recently widowed with one small child under the age of 10. And he owns a tree farm. But it's in financial decline. And he's going to meet a girl from Manhattan who is there to attend her aunt's funeral. And her expertise? Financially failing tree farms. And she saves his business. And he says, thank you. And she says, shut up and kiss me. And just as they're about to kiss, a dog, a $2,000 dog, picturesquely runs up and sits beside them. And then it's going to snow. That's it. That's every one of them. Doesn't matter who the actor, doesn't matter what city, doesn't matter. There's a tree farm and a guy and a girl, two different cities. One is really, really sad. She saves something. They're about to kiss. Snowfall. That's it. Over and over and over again. Okay, I'm going to tell you, that's the end. When I was in seminary, I had a, a, doc, a Dr. Bracy Hill. He was an eschatology guy, and he had us get into groups. And he said, I want you to now talk out and debate about Christ's return. Are you going to be a pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? I'm more of a pan-tribulation. It's just going to pan out. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm going. Okay, that's kind of where I still am. I, you know, and so he came over to me and he goes, why are you not engaged in this conversation with, with your colleagues, with, with, with your peers? And I said, because I do not care. It does not matter to me what, what we decide today because no one knows. It's not going to matter after this class because no one knows. So here's where this boils down, and this is one of the takeaways I want you to walk out of here with this morning. The smartest thing to do when we want to know more about Christ's return is to ask the question to the one who's going to be returning, which is what his disciples did. You tell us when you're coming back, okay? And so I think this is very important. And so what Christ says about this, now I'm, I'm gonna show you, but they ask him, when are you coming back? And he says, I want you to watch. I want you to watch. 
Now, when I looked this up and started, this kind of came out a little bit different in the translation because it could have easily been written out as be ready, like be prepared. So I don't want you in your Western ears to hear like we're supposed to be out, you know, watching the East and every, every once in a while making sure nothing's happening. But it's, it's a be ready. So he's telling them, I, you got to be ready. So in verse 3 of Matthew 24, again, it says, he was by the Mount of Olives. They came to him privately. Tell us when. Okay. Again, that's their humanity. When's this going to happen? Or when is all this stuff going to fall apart? When are these buildings going to fall apart? When, when is the world going bad? And they, 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 what, what should we look for? And Jesus says to them in verse 4, Watch out. Be ready. That no one deceive you. And that word deceive is... Has, has different layers too. One of my favorites in there is trick. Let no one trick you into thinking that it's not going to happen, into thinking it's just literature. Let no one tell the story incorrectly. Be ready, because those things are going to happen. And so Jesus goes on, and you know, we, we, we just read it, but they're enamored with these buildings, and they're looking around, and, and Christ says, not a single stone is going to be left in this place. And I want you to get, get the full picture here, but these were some of the most beautiful buildings in the known world. The temple at that time, four stories high, 90 feet long, 30 feet high. Most homes in that day were a 12 by 12 room. These buildings were massive. They reflected the sun. And Jesus says this to them, it's all coming down. And those words came true 40 years later. The Romans, under the leadership of Titus, burned it to the ground. They actually used the olive trees that they were talking in with this conversation to burn down the, the, the temple. So Jesus compares our end times to the days of Noah. I don't know if you've read that story in a while, but it seems eerily similar to the day that we live in. So when he says, hey, it's going to happen like the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He doesn't mean animals are going to start gathering in the streets. He doesn't mean it's going to be raining, necessarily. He is referring to a culture that is going to do whatever it wants to dream up. Indescribable wickedness. Now you look around our world right now and you think about how confused we are. What used to be so wrong is now such a gray area. People look at it and go, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's right. Maybe it's okay. To live our lives this way. He's saying, just like in Noah's time, everyone thought the day was normal. No one saw it coming. And then it happened. His first challenge to those disciples was to say, watch out. 
And I think we have to say that. If we're going to talk about end times, if we're going to talk about Christ's return, we have to have a part of our heart that is saying, I am on the lookout. I am going to be ready for the return of Christ. Crazy fact, but about 20,000 people a year die while looking at their cell phones instead of their surroundings. Now, a lot of this happens at the wheel of a car. But I will tell you this, there are several cases of this happening at the Grand Canyon. And I'm not trying to be comical, but I want you to imagine this. You're standing next to the largest hole in the United States. And you topple off into it because you are looking at a phone. And I want to equate that to what he's talking about. Hey, watch out. You're looking at the wrong thing. Like you're right next to something incredible and your focus is off. And so I think that could be something said to the, the church as it relates to end times is let's be careful. Let's watch out. Let's hold true to Scripture. And if you find yourself as a believer with no standard, you've got to come back to this. Because everything that is good has a standard. Everything that lasts has a standard. You've got to be able to look at it beyond my thoughts are my standard. What a scary and volatile place to be. We have to have a standard. Now let's look at, look at what he says really quick. Verse 6. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. How many of you have heard about wars and rumors of wars? Everybody? Yeah. Okay. rest of you haven't been watching television. This means more war than ever. He said there's not only going to be wars, you're going to hear people talking about war. Right now, there are 70 countries in major military conflict. All right, that's a lot of war. That's a lot of conflict. You want to know why? Because people don't like each other. There's a lot of hatred in our world. 70 countries in military conflict actively right right now. In verse 7, he says there's going to be famine. Three years ago, and this is the last time this study was done, but 150 million people were considered actively starving, right? Earthquakes, verse 7. There's about 20,000 earthquakes a year globally. Most of them we don't feel. But there are about 16 on average per year that are a 7 at least on the, the, the Erichter. And that means felt across the oceans. It's a major earthquakes. And then verse 9, he says, you're going to be handed over to be persecuted. The top nations of persecution right now are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, and Pakistan. 240 million Christians are currently in countries where there is high levels of persecution based upon their faith. 240 million of them. Now, we don't see much of that here yet. In verse 12 is probably the saddest one to me, okay? And this is where I want you to lean in. I'm going to wrap up in just a minute, but this is the one that is sad. He says, because 
of the increase of wickedness. And I, I like this because he gives it a reason. He's saying this is going to happen because wickedness is out of control. Watch this. The love of most will grow cold. Of most. If we just go by our, our measurement, most would be 51%. At least 51%, more than half, most. They're going to switch from a place of love to a place of hatred. To a place of peace, to a place of bitterness. The love of most will grow cold. There will be people, hear me, this is sad. There will be people who loved God, who attended church, who were in a life group, who gave money to fund a missionary. There will be people who were pastors and student pastors and children's pastors, and deacons, and elders, and spirit-filled people who will walk away from all of it and grow cold. There will be people who you saw be baptized, who celebrated with, who will not return your call because you're a Christian. There will be open mockery of faith, of Christ, of His church, and the love of most will grow cold. There will be a day when most people do not care about other people. And that is an awful place to be in. I, I, I want you to think about this because it's, it's awful. But it really re re reveals to us. I want you to split this room in half. And now we think about suddenly, one half hates the other. See each other in the community and don't even want to talk about it anymore. So cold toward Christ and His church and the gospel. Cold. Give it up. Abandoned it. And here's what I, I, will, I will end with this today. I want you to understand, biblically, there is no more prophecy to be fulfilled between now and Christ's return. Like we're done with it. The next prophetic opening in this book requires the return of Jesus. So everything for Revelation, everything about tri tribulation, everything about the marriage supper, everything about judgment day, all, every, all prophecy fulfilled is done in our time except the return of Christ. And that is a new door of prophecy. But it cannot be opened until his re re return. Meaning this, we're finished with prophecy until he comes back. I would call that the end. The end times. Now, I'm not a, a predictor. I'm not going to write a book next year, 24 reasons why he's coming back in 2024. I won't do it. But 
I, I know this. When I, when I read what he says the world is going to look like, it's pretty close. And so here's how I, I would end today. And I'm, I'm going to dig a lot deeper ne next week. But here's where I would end. I would go with his first statement. Be watchful. Be ready. And if, if you're here this morning... Let me spin this for a minute. If you're here this morning and you just know a lot about Jesus, but you're not living for him, like your life is not committed to him, like you're living in sin, but you just know a lot about Christ, you need to get ready. Like get your life ready for the return of Christ. There's a lot of scripture in there about his, his coming back and what that can look like and I might get into some of that next week, but the first part I think is very important for this first message is be watchful, be, be, be ready. And if there's anything in your life today that is not ready, then get rid of it. Let go of things that do not matter. Let go of dreams for your life that don't matter. Let go of feelings for your life that do not matter. And be ready. All right? I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to pray over us. and I want to, I want to start with that. And you're here.